Wow. Well, I'm glad to be back. So I didn't even know it was Spring Forward Sunday. I didn't even know that until somebody told me. Man, that's one advantage of your phones and all that stuff. You don't even know, you know. I thought I was a little tireder than usual, but wow, okay. We're all here with smiley faces, so that's good. <laughs> I got delayed coming back from Texas. There's snow on the ground. I forgot what snow was like. Wow. It was snowing in Oklahoma City. It was snowing in Vindiver. Man, oh man, it was beautiful, but, you know, I liked it. I saw it. Then I wanted it to go away again. It was messing my life up. But anyway, so hopefully everyone has a bulletin as well. You can get those in the back. They give you more information if you missed the quick announcement or where to give or that kind of thing. There's all kinds of information in there for anything that you need or would like. So I want to talk today about doing uh, beautiful things. Shortly before Paul was martyred, he wrote to Titus, exhorting him to continue his work on Crete. He had sent him early on to uh, take care of business there. There are a lot of new converts, and he was left there to put things in order. And Later, toward the end of Paul's life, he wrote them this beautiful letter called Titus. He used several phrases in this letter to Titus that are particularly revealing about the love and power of the Spirit releases through ordinary believers to the world around them. And I just want to read from uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful, peaceable, excuse me, and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. We have to remember, uh, this was not exactly the best of political times. <laughs> you thought your political times were troublesome, well, people routinely being martyred was an unreasonable government. If it wasn't the government that was the Roman government, or it was city governments that were out from underneath Rome's purview, or it was in Jerusalem itself or Israel. Of course, people were being murdered and slaughtered all over the place. And there were seasons all through the early years of the church, right? So these words are rather remarkable, right? To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. How, how in the world do you do that? Well, we'll see as we move along here. And we'll also understand that God leads us during this time. And I think that the main thing that we're going to be talking about today is staying peaceful on the inside so you can hear God on the outside. Because situations are unique. I don't know, one of the amazing things about this time is it just seems like the weather's changing every 10 minutes, right? Not just, I'm not talking about the earthly weather of the outside, I'm talking about the political weather, I'm talking about the, the war weather, the, all the weathers that are things that are circulating. It's like there's strong breezes everywhere, right? So he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. That's an interesting word. I don't feel like being gentle right now. <laughs> but it's the Lord's way. I think to get this right, there's no formulas. There's something that's working as we're going to see on the inside that helps us to know the proper time and procedure for everything. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. So he's uh, appealing to our old way of life, the way we were, the way we were before we got saved, right? What we were doing, it's, he didn't want us to forget that, right? He was certainly aware of his own weakness. Now he literally hunted people down in the name of good, in the name of God even, right, and killed them. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Does that sound familiar? 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So important to understand, even if you walk with God for a long time. You came from a place of mercy. You may be out of touch with it emotionally or mentally, but that's where you came from. You know? And God's in touch with it all. <laughs> he knows you. He knows where you came from. Even when we forget, right? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And the presence of God came and changed us, renewed us, did something different. We don't even recognize ourselves, right? I love that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christians, we don't just have operating, we're not just operating on moral principles, we're operating under the Spirit of God. The only one that can really change the way we think. The only one that can really give us peace. The only one that can really change our circumstances. Whom he poured out on us, generously, that is the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his peace, we might become heirs, having a hope of eternal life. Having a hope of eternal life. I love these verses. In Titus 3.8, Paul mentions that God's people should devote themselves to doing what is good using the, word, the Greek word kalos, or kalos. Very interesting word, this word. Very fascinating. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So the word for good there, doing what is good, is the word kalos. Now, kalos, or kalos, means probably murdering that word. Sorry, you Greek scholars. But anyway, you got, most of you don't know the difference, so that's good. <coughs> I know it's an ah. I just don't remember what the emphasis is. But anyway, kalos means, this, listen to this, it means attractively good. Good that inspires, motivates others to embrace what is lovely. So there's good, and then there's this attractively good. Where you're good, and it, it, it's just the giving the gift at just the right thing, time, sacrificing for someone, you know, at just the right moment, being kind to undeserving people when they don't deserve it, having a kind heart, right, when everybody else around you is negative. This word, uh, kalos, uh, for, uh, is wonderful. It, it's more than just good, it's very attractive, it's, it's winsome. I, I think of all kinds of things now going through my brain. And I don't know why, but uh, I was just thinking about this uh, uh, Chariots of Fire movie. Remember that? And there's this old man, and, uh, and he's the sprint coach of, of this other guy that's the sprinter, right? And then there's Eric Little, who literally became a missionary and died as a missionary in China. And uh, when, you could, when he ran, he ran for the Lord. And even that old man saw something uh, different. He saw something supernatural. And I remember he's going around, the, uh, uh, he's running, and this old man's watching for the first time. Remember, he falls down, and uh, then he gets back up. And as he begins to pick up the pace and run and make up the ground and all the other competitors, the old man's watching this. You can see the, uh, he's seen something supernatural. He's seen something wonderful. He's seen something beautiful he hasn't seen before. He's been coaching sprinters his whole life, but he can see something because he has this eye for it. And as he's seeing his, remember his hand crumples, crank, his, his, his uh, little thing in his hand, uh, whatever it was, it was announcing the runners. He, right there, he does that, and he, he sees it. And, and then he comes around, and, and, and he sees 
He can see this good. He can see this amazing person. He can see that this guy has something on the inside that's different that he's never seen before in a runner, right? That's kalas, good, something beyond the something. It's used in Mark chapter 14 to describe the beautiful thing Mary of Bethany did to worship Jesus. So we read in uh, Mark chapter 14, one of my most lovely uh, examples of this and also just a beautiful story. It's just before Jesus dies. And this is the whole point. It's just before Jesus dies. So it's about the time of the Passover. He's going to die a few days later. Now, while he was in Bethany, reclined at the table in the home of Simon the leper, this is Jesus, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Thousands of dollars, you could say, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, a colossus thing, a beautiful thing. That's that word beautiful, colossus. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This could have been given to the poor. What a waste, right? But it was a beautiful, lovely act of worship. William Barclay says that Colossus means winsome and lovely with a certain bloom of charm upon it. Love not only does good things, love does lovely things. If love is true, then there must always be a certain extravagance in it. It is not concerned to see how little it can discreetly give. There's a recklessness in love which refuses to count the cost. This is where God's calling us. He's calling us to these kinds of lovely deeds. Jesus already knew what was going to happen with his death, resurrection, and the preaching of the gospel. It's remarkable that a beautiful act of love like this is given a special place in history as an example for all of us. I mean, there's big things afoot. There's the salvation of the world. Yet, right in the midst of this heavy business is this beautiful story of a woman who took this very expensive perfume and anointed it. I think probably we would have been tempted to say, wow, what a waste. That could have been used for the poor or whatever, you know. Heaven doesn't measure things out the way we do. It sees beauty in a different way, right, from the heart, from this place. You could give millions of dollars away and still have a dark heart, right? You could do it out of compulsion or motive, but he's looking for something beautiful. He's looking for something we do from here. With all my heart, I, I'm just uh, really happy where our church is at right now. There's been so many beautiful expressions of gifts like this from the heart. It's really brought out the best in us, the loveliest part in us. And I just challenge you to let it bring the loveliest part of you. There's lots of reasons why we could be sad or overwhelmed. I think a religious spirit about our times is probably one of the 
most deadly. It has a form of godliness, but it's busy with its own agenda, and it sometimes just goes into downright senselessness. Religiosity has always killed the world, <laughs> you know, regardless of what the brand. There's something about the spirit that's lovely and gentle and powerful. It accomplishes God's work in the most crazy ways. Take the cross. How would you have liked been one of those disciples? You're serving this guy. You're walking with this guy. You're seeing every kind of sign and wonder imaginable. You know who he is. Maybe Peter or John, James. You were there at the transfiguration. And then you see the same thing go south. And there he is, hanging on the cross. And he's dead. What a dark night that must have been, right? But what I love about that situation as I look at it is just uh, there are a couple of people standing there. His own mom. What a beautiful thing. A couple of women that were with him, some disciples risking their own lives. Many of the disciples were gone, deserted. But even there at that place, that place that looked like absolute desertion, absolute horror, horror people stood with this love, this colossus in their heart, doing a beautiful thing just by being there with him in his last hour. What an amazing thing. thing. Maybe some of them suspected there would be more, but I doubt it. <laughs> I think that caught them by surprise what was going to happen next, right? Fortunately, we're not left alone to do beautiful, colossal things. We can see the beautiful love of the Father as part of our normal experience with God, just as the disciples did. So I wanted to read from Romans chapter 8. It's a subject that we broach from time to time. I'll be talking about it in my life in the spirit class again. So in our church, we are an experienced church, meaning we, we want to experience God. We don't just want to do principles. Um, those principles are wise and godly, especially taken from Scripture, but, but we want to experience God. We want to hear His voice. We want to feel His touch. We want to do His miracles. We want to do what He did, which is all scriptural, right? Sometimes in our zeal to do that, we forget maybe the most important thing of all. There's this beautiful thing God wants to do by an impartation of His Holy Spirit. So of all the things I experienced for many, many years uh, in my walk with the Lord, salvation, which is a grand and glorious experience for me, and then this wonderful baptism of the Holy Spirit I received. And uh, that empowered me. I was a Presbyterian kid. I was 17 years old. Didn't have much use for the church, although I went, you know, but just because of my parents mostly, and I had some experience myself with the Lord, I certainly got saved there, that was for sure. But when I was baptized with the Spirit, I learned that there was such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I saw the life of the apostles, I saw, and I read, and I, I thought to myself, that's me, that's me, there they are after the crucifixion, you know, and of course, they're gathered together in despair, and Jesus appears to them. But they were still missing something that had to happen later. And they were a body of believers. They believed certainly in Jesus Christ. They saw him risen from the dead. But they needed this baptism Jesus told them to wait for. And when that fine day came, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, the world was set on fire because their heart was set on fire. Right? And they began to preach this gospel all over the earth, risking their life. They no longer were gathered in prayer. They began to move out, and God began to take them to the ends of the earth. This baptism uh, of water uh, was, there was the culmination, the symbol 
uh, of their salvation. And, uh, and so that was good, right? The baptism of water. But this baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that came in fire. And I remember when that happened to me, it changed the whole course of my life. And so I just, and I was so fascinated before that of all the works that I saw in the Bible, you know, and I wondered and wondered about them because God still healed, does God still prophesy? Do donkeys still talk? <laughs> the Red Sea still part, you know? I mean, for the person, I talk about this in my life in the spirit class. Actually, what I'm about to say next, we're going to actually be doing in my life in the spirit class. You might want to come but uh, this Wednesday. But, um, so we'll be doing these Wednesday night classes, and we're almost done. But I, toward the end of the class, I always do this part where I'm going to get to in a moment, this love of the Father I'm going to talk about. But I, before I get to that, I want to talk about this. So I had always seen these miracles and signs and wonders in the Bible, wondering if possibly I could ever see one or be a part of one. In my Presbyterian church where I was, they didn't talk about such things. And so I was just sort of wondering and maybe even doubt the Bible itself because all I could see when I was reading the Bible, the little I read was just all this weird stuff, you know, thinking, how could this be, you know? Is it today? And then being really disappointed as I was told, well, we probably don't see much of that happening today. And I'm wondering in my young mind, why in the world will we not? You're asking me to give my life to Jesus, but what do I get, you know? <laughs> Salvation, that was good, but that's a long time for now for a 17-year-old, right? What do I do next, right? And then I learned what was next when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit through a bizarre series of circumstances. God had taken me all the way to Memphis, Tennessee, of all places, actually going there because of a cute girl, basically, <laughs> in the youth group, pastor's daughter, actually. Can't stay away from pastor's daughters. Anyway, so that's the only reason why I was there and ended up getting baptized with the Spirit, right? And from that place of that baptism, that immersion in the Holy Spirit, I began to do other things, things I haven't imagined. Healing the sick, witnessing to people at a level I've never witnessed before, you know, bold, talking about Jesus day and night, reading my Bible, and, but doing these beautiful things. And so that was a great stage in my life. It took me a long way. But I didn't know that there was more. So the thing is about miracles and signs and wonders and even evangelism, you get quite religious about it, you know. By religious, I mean you get quite impersonal about it sometimes, right? And um, just get in that flow. And uh, so I wondered about that too, but it didn't bother me. I'm thinking, okay, you know, you know, but... Something sometimes people that do, you know, a lot of evangelism, a lot of signs and wonders, including myself, I get a little detached uh, from the passion of it, the love of it, the, the sense of wonder of it, you know. Uh, but the power is so great, you know, it's just because God has such love and compassion for people, it comes anyway, right? Right? But I didn't know about that mercy of God. So I'm just dispensing miracles and signs and wonders and evangelism and God's word all over the place, prophecies. So one fine day, I ended up in John Wimber's office with another Swiss friend of mine, <laughs> and we ended up there. It was the strangest day of my life. I went in to leave the vineyard. I came out born into the vineyard, the vineyard movement of churches, right? And the only reason why is because as I was sitting at the table, God, knowing my predicament, knowing I didn't understand this movement and what was in it, knowing that I had things to do, knowing I had bills to pay, and I had 
places to go and people to see and missions to do. And I had them that time traveling all over the place six months out of the year. And I'm sitting there. And as I'm sitting there, the Spirit of God fell on me sovereignly. I began to shake and tremble. And they're all, all we were doing was eating lunch. It's just lunch. <laughs> so it was just lunch. John Wimber happened to be sitting here, and I'm sitting here, and my friend's sitting over on the other side of the table. Eddie Purick was there. Another guy was there. I think it was Randy Rigby. And we're sitting there, and I begin to tremble from my bottom of my feet right through my legs up into my body. I'm trembling for no apparent reason. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm having a nervous breakdown. This is crazy. Right in front of John Wimber, I'm having a nervous breakdown. And I thought, oh, maybe it's just been a hard week. Okay. So they'd subside, and then I would go, okay, and I'd pick up my fork, and okay, and then I'd just start shaking, put it down, hoping to God nobody saw. Meanwhile, Martin sees everything. He's looking at me going, you know, and then he's got, what's up? What's going on? You know, and I couldn't end it. I'm just trembling, shaking. And uh, so pretty soon, I couldn't stand. I couldn't sit in my seat. I fell under the table. Martin, the spirit hit him as well. He ended up under the table, and there we both are, under the table. And by the time I was done, I thought, well, maybe I should join the vineyard after all. <laughs> and then to confirm it, John says, I receive these two as my sons. Amen. So that's how I joined the Vineyard Association of Churches. But I didn't understand what had hit me. Thank God Eddie Piorek was near to help me understand because what had hit me was not just power, not just revelation, but the love of the Father. The love of God hit me. I didn't know I needed to be hit. I thought I was doing just fine with the love of God. But this came at such a deep level, and it lasted for months and months. Just this, I couldn't watch a romantic uh, show on TV without crying. I don't even think I cried one tear from that point in my life to the time I was born, right? I, and I'm like a big baby. I'm crying. My wife, she's looking at me. I, I, she was so nice. Actually, she was actually, thought this might be an improved version, actually. <laughs> That's what I think she really thought. Finally, you know, I'm zealous. I forgot, you know, and now this crybaby husband who, you know, starts serving and loving everybody and, you know, uh, just, and I didn't know what it was. And it was love. And then Eddie showed me the passages to help me understand scripturally what was going on here. One of them was Romans 8.14. So I'm saying this as a prelude because when the love of God hits you, you start doing beautiful things. So for those who are led by the Spirit of God or the children of God, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, but why didn't I get that, you know? I, I know I got it technically, but I didn't get it experientially. But when you look at this passage, as Eddie explained and as I've learned through the years, you see that as he's, we look at the Greek behind the language there, you realize that uh, there's some dramatic things being said here knowing the culture will help you, like your adoption to sonship. So there was this thing in the Greek culture and Roman culture where they would adopt the, the children, right? And they would adopt sons and daughters, well, mostly sons. And 
they would literally be placed in the presence of their father at a ceremony, right? So the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So this ceremony is in the background of a person literally being placed in front of their new father, right? And by him, we cry. Now that word cry is a scream. It's a vociferous animal call. It's, it's like a screech of a loud bird. We scream. And then the word Abba is the word Daddy. Daddy. So I like to think about this all the time, you know. Sometimes I think of Daddy, you know, and the screeching. You know, you go into every grocery store, you know, and you stay there for a while and you'll see a mother coming in with her kids, right? Maybe especially a couple of adventuresome ones or maybe one, right? Have you ever been there? And then you're watching, you're seeing the mother's busy and the child's wandering off, you know. And you know it's just a matter of time for something's going to happen here. Then he goes, oh, look at the next row. He goes around the corner, and then she can't find him. And all of a sudden, he realizes something's wrong here. Where's my mother? And then you hear that loud screech, Mom! or cry. And the mother immediately goes, uh-oh, uh-oh, around the corner and finds him, right? That gets repeated in every supermarket in America probably every day, right? And by him, we cry, Abba, Daddy, Mama. Oh. So you see the wording is here. The experience is here. It was the experience of many people evidently in the early church. But I hadn't experienced that until that day, not knowing what in the world had happened to me. And walking in that spirit of Abba, that spirit, is a very powerful thing. It's another dimension of God. Love's all over the Bible. I just didn't know that Love was something I did. I didn't know that love was also something I could experience on that level. So this week, this Wednesday, we'll be talking about that and ministering that. We already have. Uh, and it's amazing because to understand our church, you have to understand that we look at things and as soon as we discover there's something new in the Bible, something we hadn't experienced yet, we want it, right? So we are a very experience-oriented church. We want everything there is. If God raised the dead, we want to raise the dead, right? everything, right? And that's why we give such attention to worship, for example. For us, worship isn't just singing a couple of songs as the warm-up for the pastor to speak or for some other announcement to be given or for the offering to come. It's, it's the, for us, it is the service. It is the very presence of God. God inhabits the praises of his people. So we learn as we come into this place, we learn to sort of surf the presence of God, the worship. We learn to feel the presence of God. We learn to have an encounter with the Lord, right? And lot, much of that encounter is not just the power of God, but it's the beauty of God, the Abba part of God, the fathering. And so all during this time of this uh, time we've been in, worship's been so very, very important to us because it's part of the way we experience God. He literally inhabits the praises of his people. When he inhabits, it makes you cry. It makes you weep. It makes you weak. It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel strong. All of those things go in our worship. These are the things of the Spirit. Now, I'd experienced that in worship before. But this other dimension, and we noticed something else about the vineyard when we came, that they like to sing a lot of love songs. They're always tender songs. We did a lot of Hebrew hoedown where I came from, you know. This is the day, this is the day. 
And we were very happy about that. It was very exciting. We do, I call it march music. We were marching around, running around, jumping up and down, which I like that still to this day. Sometimes there are those incredible times. But the vineyard was different. I couldn't put my finger on it because they were always like, they always looked like they really were enjoying this worship. They really were experiencing something. They would cry and all this. And I, I, there's so many things I couldn't understand because I didn't understand the Father yet. I didn't understand this spirit of a, a, adoption, you know. But it turns out that when we receive this beautiful love of the Father, we begin to do beautiful things. From a love place, you'll do things that you would never do out of duty or responsibility. People that love one another, people that love another person, especially even in your family. You're supposed to be a loving husband, a loving wife. But I tell you, when Father begins to love you, when the supernatural love of God comes, it's different, right? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 16. The word testifies is the word we get martyr from. It's a strong testimony. The, the Spirit, it's martyreo, actually. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So when the Spirit testifies that we're God's kids, fear leaves. There's this testimony that we're loved and we belong. Strong testimony. And then we look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Here's what happens. Here's what comes out of this. If God is for us, who could be against us? No wonder people don't understand us. The world will never understand the church. They don't understand the freedom in our heart. They don't understand the love in our heart. You just can't control us. We're under one head, and his name is God, the Father, Jesus Christ. We literally walk to the beat of a different drummer. And as long as that beat includes compassion and love, we're okay. But if it degenerates into a religiosity that has a hard edge on it and begins not to be wise anymore, because with love... And compassion comes great wisdom. Because wisdom and love go together and you know the right time and procedure. And sometimes you are bold as a lion and other times you lay back. Always respectful. Always leading. But it's difficult to say because there's no rules exactly how to behave because there are so many things that are neutral that you can turn one way or the other. Yes, it could go this way or that way, but the Father's love always has the right combination to the problems. And one of the problems that we've had in this time is we, we try to figure, yes, I can see that side of it, but I can also see this side of it. Which side do I choose, right? It's been difficult. But Father, he, he has this way of amplifying, and sometimes He just gives you the right instructions for that day, right? But He'll tell you. And when He tells you, you know what to do. I don't respect religious zeal much. I just respect Father's zeal it will beat religious zeal any day. It will go to its death doing things. It will do what nothing else would do out of sheer religiosity. You can poke a hole in religious zeal like that. Some of the zeal that we see going on today is religious zeal. It will be gone tomorrow. It will pop like a balloon. Right? But God's zeal, the Father's zeal, and the Father's wisdom will go to jail. It will do anything that the Father wants as long as it's got the Father's imprints. How do we know the difference? It's a spiritual impartation of the love of God. We're not left alone to do the beautiful things of God. There's an intimacy about it, though. There's a, there's a conviction, too, 
but seasoned with grace, seasoned with God's love. And it's an interesting combination. And the same combination doesn't work with every lock in every situation, right? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's an amazing thing. Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will not also along with him graciously give us all things? Graciously. In a nice way. Gladly. How many things? All things. Our health, our jobs, our life, our sons, our daughters, everything. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I really like God praying for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot defeat an army like this. It's like whack-a-mole. You know what whack-a-mole is, all your parents? You whack the head, and then another one pops up, right? You whack us here, we just pop up on the other side. Whack us over there, we oh no, oh no. Well, we just pop up over here. <laughs> Some of you have been doing such a great job of reinventing your life. It's just incredible. Actually, it's the Father helping you. Could I just say this uh, as a little sidelight? As a believer, could I just tell you what your inheritance is? Your inheritance is more, not less. If you've been wounded, had a job taken away, whatever, look for a better one. Look for double for your trouble. It's right here. It's in the Father's heart. God adds and multiplies. He doesn't subtract. There are times of subtraction. There are times of pruning. But what happens with a plant when it gets pruned? It just grows more. That's what they're doing to us now. Try to inhibit us. Trying to restrain us as the church. Try to do weird things to us. We just grow. We just keep going. Right? And whatever is false and religious and whatever really isn't God will fall away even if it looks like God. It'll just fall away. And so in our season now, this love of the Father has really helped us in this season to trust. But it's amazing because in this time, I find us doing lovely things, even better things, even more amazing things. A strong love for the people of this world is the result of an encounter of love. We know and rely on the love God has for us. We love because he first loved us. So I want you to look at uh, Titus uh, 3.14. From this place, Paul says to Titus, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. So there's this place that I think we're in right now where we're learning to devote ourselves to doing what is good. This is a unique time for us to do good, but the things are so restrained, it's so important. But could I just broaden it a little bit? Learning what to do, what is good, not only in terms of a Christian as a witness out there, but what is good for my family, what is good for my children. We learn to do what is good. And I, I want to just give you an example. So one of our uh, ways we've been learning to do what is good is as we've adjusted 
um, we've had to do a whole new set of things, but we got a whole new, um, and I'm just going to say this for all of you, we at the church have got a whole new set of operating instructions. We have changed dramatically in the last year. A whole new set of operating instructions. And so now we're doing things that we would normally have done, but at the behest of the Father, we're, we're moving in different directions. Some of you in your own personal life are doing that as well. Don't be surprised. But look, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So the changes that are taking place at the basis of it what must be that we're looking for productivity. We're looking to do what God does. We're looking to be the salt and the light of the earth. That's our job description. And if you've got the love of the Father beating inside you, you will do that. That is your first job. Do that first. Seek first the kingdom, and then all this other stuff will be added to you. Your jobs, your families, your homes, your houses. Make that your passion. Make, ask God, Lord, wh what do we do? So he says, I, people must learn. You learn how to do this. So I've been learning to function in a different way with the restraints. Learning to vote themselves to doing what is good in order to... What does that mean in this time <clears throat> to devote myself to? This is taken away. This is gone. What does it mean for me now? So that's the great adventure that we're in right now. We must learn to devote ourselves, uh, to devote ourselves to doing what is good. I'll tell you, uh, so one thing that's happened to us, and I'll just give you an example of this, is many of you are doing already really good works and things, but I think the Lord's revamping the whole church. That's why uh, I entitled this Doing Beautiful Things. So one thing that happened to us with regard to uh, doing beautiful things around here is we've been feeding people for a long time. So that flo flowed pretty well with the current environment. It's just that at the time uh, we began uh, uh, this whole uh, time of sickness and illness and the whole COVID thing, all of the food uh, pantries around us shut down. And like they're good people, they're, they do great things, but we're just asking, Father, what, what do we do? If we shut down, it'd be a lot easier. And uh, the Lord told us, no, you stay open. So we stayed open. And so things began to pile up. We didn't have the employees we needed. And we saw all these contributions began to come in. It was like a flood. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've created this monster. What am I going to do? People can't give their stuff to Goodwill or Salvation Army. And so the stuff started piling up. And if you were anywhere around during the week, during any of that time, it would be from the warehouse store all the way to this building. It would be full. And many, many times, many nights, uh, John and I uh, were up till 1 and 2 in the morning with forklift just trying to get stuff in, get it in the door. And so we felt like we needed to stay open. So we stayed open. In the process, we suspected it, but we didn't know how real it was. We thought, well... Maybe, I don't know. We've got to stay open. We've got to keep feeding people. So maybe, maybe we'll get more customers this way. Boy, do we get new customers. And those customers today are blessing what's going on now. We grew. We exploded. We couldn't hold it all. We literally, I thought, John, I kept saying, well, John, doesn't feel that great, but this is the good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of junk, you know. And you remember, I'd be up there, I remember that funny, we had, so many crazy stories that are still funny and are happening to us, you know. And one of the funny things, I told you about that story where I was in the garbage bin at 1 o'clock in the morning. 
and I'm in the bin trying to push it down furiously so the next day the guys will take it because if it goes up above the edge, they won't take it, right? And we needed the trash out of here, right? So I'm up there, and a homeless person comes up from behind me. Remember I told you about that? And says, uh, hey, is anything good up here? And uh, I said, what? He says, well, is there anything good up here? I see you searching. I didn't know we could come up here and look for stuff. And I said, I'm not looking for stuff. I'm trying to... I want to throw it away. I'm trying to push it down. She says, you're lying. He said, no, I'm not lying. And I said, I, I, I help run this place. No, you don't. I said, I'm, well, I'm the pastor of that. See that church over there? I, said, I don't see the church. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't even have the name of the church on the side. of the, Well, it's a church, and I, I'm pastor. Said, you're a pastor? What in the world are you doing at 1 o'clock in the morning in the garbage dump then? And I thought to myself, Good question. I have no answer. I, I had no answer. I couldn't say anything. I just said, I, well, I just got down. That's all I did. I just got down for that. I'm thinking, I'm just, what am I doing up here? <laughs> so the thing is, though, here's what began to happen. So we stayed open, and customers started coming in from everywhere, right? And we just kept growing, and we have not stopped growing. We just keep growing and growing. But here's the thing. It reminds me of this thing. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So one part of what we've been doing, I hadn't been able to do very successfully. But notice this word, must learn to devote themselves what is good. So when you get in a space like this with the Father and, and you're trying to do something good, you, you have to learn how he does it to be successful. Can I just say that over you business people? There is productivity God wants to bring in your business. You just have to learn how to do it God's way. You need to learn to sell when God wants you to sell. You need to learn how, what kind of time you give to this and that. You need to know, watch your time, everything. But in, so, that, so you need to learn, right? So we began to learn, and this has been a great learning time for all of our lives, where, where we start learning new things. In times of pressure like this, we learn actually to do beautiful things. While everybody else is freaking and panicking, we're listening to the Lord trying to do beautiful things. So that's what happened to us. So we began to find new ways to do things, learn. And one of the things that was been lovely that's been added to us is we never were, uh, I was always afraid to house the homeless because it's too hard, right? And I said, I'd taken a couple of stabs at it and was miserable. I mean, I can't even find housing for most of our regular people, right? It's just miserable, you know. And then, of course, uh, homeless people don't always act like, you know, normal people. Some are a little closer to normal. Some of them are under great trauma and pressure, and they can be healed and get out of that, and they do. But to have them and put them in ho housing, and then things got worse with the prices going up and so on. So, But we learned. We actually learned in the midst of this housing crisis, there's a way to help people find homes. So we got into the housing business. We got into the housing business because of this trauma on the land, because of this. We learned to do beautiful things in the midst of great pressure and trial. And we've learned to do a couple other things. We had had a school before. Then I loved that school. My kids graduated from it. And I thought, that's that. We're done. I won't do that anymore. That is a very taxing thing on the facility. There's lots of trouble with that, you know. And uh, honorary kids, honorary parents, well, not, that was a great service, and my kid got the benefit of it. Praise God. Some other kids, my friends, I think it's time for this to end. 
And lo and behold, it comes back around, and now I'm doing school out my ears. We're going to move, by God's grace, into high school next year. We're already in kindergarten all the way through. And it happened in a matter of months. So, turns out the father thinks the education of our kid is a, kids are, is a beautiful thing, right? But we had to learn how to do it. And so we developed this thing. And the leaders emerged. We began to develop this beautiful thing called a homeschool school. Which, for all intents and purposes, if you've schooled your kids, it's, it's a school. Teaching's taken care of. You just do the homework. You've got two extra days. <laughs> right? And this formula is genius. It works amazing. It's a beautiful thing. It works. It works so well. And the parents have learned to adapt with their careers. And uh, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I wouldn't substitute that school for anything. It costs an arm and a leg. It's, it's not convenient, but we learned. I want to underline the word learn. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So to do what is good, you have to learn. Many people come to me and they want to do uh, feed the poor, do this or that. They want to do that, but there's a learning curve to it, even with what you can handle yourself and learning what you hear and learning how you approach. I'm getting more and more comfortable about approaching anyone, but I've been getting... Uh, especially people on the street, because not everyone is my assignment. But there are some that are my assignment. And I have Father's eyes. There's enough compassion in me, been worked in me through this process we've been through, that I have compassion in me now. If you try to do these kinds of things without any compassion, it's wooden, it's hard, you give up. But when the Father brings compassion in you, you begin to do this in a different way. You think differently. You see them differently. You see them with the Father's eyes. And I used to just give up. You know, what are we going to do? That person's obviously mentally ill. That person's obviously addicted to who knows how many drugs. That person, that person, you know. And you see all the problems, and finally you do it a little while, and you go, this was not romantic. This is really hard work. This is horrible. I don't want to ever do this again. Matter of fact, wow, Salvation Army, whoever else, do whatever you can do, man. I'm not doing this, right? But for us as a church and as believers, like, how can we ignore these people? They're in our own household. They're in our own families now. And some have mental illness. Some of them have diseases, sickness, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're still beautiful people. So what the Father's heart does, it gives you eyes for them. So no, I genuinely have eyes. But when you get eyes for them, that means you're committed. You will do it. If God tells you to do it, you'll do whatever it takes to house them, whatever it takes. When they're your assignment, they're your assignment. But on the other side, if they're not your assignment, you don't have to do anything, right? But the honesty that comes only from the love of the Father right? If it's inconvenience, that are not, not enough. But if the love of the Father is there, you can see them and you know what the right procedure is. You don't know the whole procedure. You want the whole thing cleaned up in three days. They won't be cleaned up in three days. We have a mess on our hand. It's a combination of drugs. It's a combination of, of, uh, of not, uh, 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 in California especially, of the, of the housing prices. It, it, it's a combination of broken homes. It's a mess. Some of you are in a mess right now because you can't buy a home or because the prices have gone up so high and you're trying to navigate. Well, let me just say something to you. If you're supposed to live in California, then do not move. If you move because of the financial thing, and that's the biggest thing, and you're terrified, you will make a mistake. 
you will make a mistake. There's a geographical will of God for everybody. Find it. Be secure with it. If you're supposed to move, then move there and be secure in that. And you keep fighting because when you move, you're going to have to find a house and place and just fight till you find it and just live there. Put roots downward and bear fruit upward. But if you're supposed to stay, well, you just got to make a few adjustments. And the Father be faithful to help you. Oh, no. Prices have gone up. Christians can't live here anymore. We've got to leave. Let's run. Run to the hills, everybody. Well, I thought you were called to California. No, not anymore. I hate this place. It's all Democrats and this and that, you know, or whatever. Orange County, there's too many Republicans for me. I don't know. It's crazy. I'm leaving. This is crazy. This is not father talk. This is not rooted and grounded in love. This is sheer panic. And if you look behind it and you don't respond to the fear, you can hear clearly. And if you're supposed to go, you're supposed to go. And then when you go, the Father will be with you and He'll help you with every little step. And you'll get blessed, right? You'll get blessed. And that's where God wants us, right? He wants to bless us. He wants to help us. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So we have to learn this sometimes, the hard way. Some of you are under great challenges. I don't mean to minimize those. And some of you maybe are supposed to move to a different territory, a different area, whatever. That's good. But I tell you what, here's the thing. When the Father's there, when the beautiful Father is there, when we can feel His presence, when we begin to give ourselves space and room to hear His voice, we'll make good decisions. That doesn't mean it's any less scary, but in a way it is. I would rather make a scary decision, but know I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I've lived my whole life like that. I've lived like my whole life like that in the nations, choosing what nations to go into and when and how in terms of evangelism and all the other decisions we've made around here, but also personally, right? So there's this learning thing. So be okay, but if Father's in the house, he's a good teacher, right? So the real issue is I can't get wisdom. It's not the issue. The issue is uh, I can feel God's presence. Now, God, please teach me. And then you just get instructed. The thing is, what we want is a whole computer printout. <laughs> this is what it's going to cost. Da, 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 da. You don't get computer printouts as far as I can tell. I haven't got one yet. I just go a step at a time. I take this step, then I take this step, then I take this step. That's what we've been led as a church all the way along. Like one of our biggest steps is when do we go uh, public, right? When do we go in the tent? <laughs> when? And all of it is... If you're led by the Lord, He'll tell you step by step. Sometimes I felt like we're a little behind, and sometimes I felt like we're a little ahead of ourselves. But for the most part, the loving Father has helped us every step of the way. And the proof is in the pudding. We've been blessed. God's making us prosper in ways we never thought before. We have never been so prosperous as we are right now. But it just took some listening, and we didn't get it perfect. And I'm sure there's things that we didn't do well or haven't done well or are still undone, right? But then when the Father speaks, you do things that you don't like and you do things that you do like. So I wasn't too interested in starting a school in the middle of a pandemic. No, I wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested in staying up late at night cleaning trash out of the parking lot. No, I wasn't interested in that. But I could see the outline. I could see something good behind all that. I could see it. I could see the pain our people was in. You could see it. So that's where you are. You can see the love in it. You can see... And the ultimate thing is we all want to be productive. We all want to serve. We all want to be useful, right? That's our number one thing, right? 
So there are many examples that we've been experiencing corporately and individually. So now I just want to say one last thing. Could there be new beautiful opportunities in the world to beckon us? I've been thinking about the Ukraine a lot. Anybody else? Don't have much to do with Europe. I'm in California, you know. And I have good friends there. They're doing a great job, right? Are you sure I'm supposed to get involved in Europe? Yes, I'm sure. I heard. So now, we're going to help Europe. And uh, so the thing is, what I hear a voice said, go to Europe. No, I didn't. No, a lot of voices said, don't go to Europe. Don't go to Europe. No. <laughs> but compassion is where you get your information. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. That could be me. That could be my family. And I just see that, and my compassion's welling up in me. I'm thinking, well, what can I do? And I th I'm thinking and praying about it, and I'm thinking, God, okay, I've learned if I'm going to work in any area of the world, I've got to have, I can't be there all the time, so I have got to have a, a, a partner. Well, lo and behold, yesterday my partner called me. <laughs> I went, oh my gosh, I'm getting involved in Europe. So, hello, we're now going to be giving to Europe. We're going to do whatever we can. So evidently the father likes Ukraine quite a lot. So, so me, obviously, as learning to have done this in many areas of the world for a long time, I'm thinking, okay, I need a good partner. Well, the partner called up, and so it's a grappito partner I've been working with for years. And, uh, and it turns out my partner grew wings. He's got a few limbs I didn't know he had, and they're stretching out in every direction. So he's fully capable of ministering in Eastern Europe uh, with the whole movement of many, many vineyard churches behind him and also other churches that we know and we fellowship through the years in Europe. So I don't understand exactly what's going on in Ukraine. To me, it's uh, scary. It's got some dimensions to it that I don't think we've all thought clearly through. What is the end of it? But nevertheless, uh, those people aren't doing well, and we can help. There's two point something million of them already out within range of us helping so I just challenge all of you to step with me, and, uh, and uh, we're just basically at this point in time, I don't know if we'll be able to send people to do specific tasks, but for this time, I found a reputable person I can work with like I do in Asia, and they will take care of every logistical problem. They will magnify whatever we give, uh, doubling and tripling and quadrupling our effectiveness. I just don't like to give, and that doesn't, you know, mean if you could put it in the right hands of a steward, uh, a wise person, people that are rooted and grounded and called the area, it just, it'll be beautiful. And then we can monitor it too. We can say, okay, we gave this, what did it do, right? So we're going to do that. So that's part of our new operating things, new beautiful opportunities in the world beckon us. So uh, this has been maybe the theme, and I hope it's a theme for your individual life. There's new opportunities. Um, one thing that happens in trouble is everything gets turned upside down, and it's a really uncomfortable thing, but it can be a glorious thing if you just listen to the Lord and say, God, this is great. What am I going to do? What beautiful thing do I get to do now? This is great.
It doesn't feel beautiful, but it's beautiful, right? And uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm just going to close with this uh, a little bit about this beauty. Um, doing beautiful things sometimes doesn't look great on the outside. I've just been talking with my friend, Sean Coles, and, um, and uh, so he and his wife have suffered and done a lot uh, to do something they felt God wanted them to do, and that's work in the Texas Attorney General's office. And so he went to work for the Texas Attorney General. If you know anything about that, they're at the forefront of almost every major issue. Uh, it's amazing. And he got promoted, and he got promoted and promoted. Meanwhile, his wife's living here in California. He's our friend. He's been in our church. And he's, she's living here, and he's living there, and it's been a lot of tension, but they have to ask themselves over and over again, are you sure this is what we want to do? You know? But he felt like he should do it. And he just wrote me this text, which is just summarized. He did what God told him to do. He suffered through being in the lower ranks and moving up, 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 to like he's like number three in the whole attorney general's office. Right under famous names that you would know if I told you their name, right? He texted me the other day, he said, you know what? 17,000 pre-born babies were saved in the last six months. And he said it was part of the Texas uh, pro-life fetal heartbeat law that he worked on, that he was very much a part of. He's got some other things that are even bigger than that right now that they're working out of Texas, but I won't mention those. But, but uh, So he's a perfect example, right? Why would a Newport... California attorney move to Texas. Well, they heard God's voice. So if I could just say that to all of us, open your ears, be secure in the Father's love, ask Him honestly, what am I supposed to do now? Many of you are going to find destinies that you couldn't have imagined. Many of you are going to find destiny with the thing that you were doing all along, right? An enemy tried to steal. But this is a time of change, but it's also a great time, a great, great time for doing really beautiful things. How do stars shine so brightly? They shine because to our view, they're in the darkness. And that's what makes them bright. So in this time of darkness, this is a time to shine. It's not a time to hibernate. Whatever you do in fear is probably not going to end up very well. I see a lot of panic and fear. Just... Ask God with an honest heart what to do, where to go, how to respond. And he'll help you. Maybe we'll get a prophetic word. Maybe something will happen. But the thing is, it's so important that we respond. And, and, and what we don't know, God will teach us. He'll show us how to do it. He'll show us how to do new things. So yes, the world's trying to invent itself. But you know what's really going on? This is the real thing that's going on. The church across the world is reinventing herself. We're becoming brighter and brighter, more beautiful. We're adapting because we can hear God's voice and we can experience his compassion for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. Some of you right now are in new businesses. Some of you are in new opportunities. Some of you are in new homes, new areas. You didn't believe, couldn't believe you're there. Don't worry. Don't panic. Just ask God, Lord, what's next? What's next? And we as a community, I just encourage all of you to be real sensitive to your brothers and sisters because we don't live alone. And if you live alone, it's really hard, but there's other brothers and sisters that might give you a word of advice or a prophetic word or help you along. 
But the Father's voice is greatly magnified when you feel His touch, when you feel His love. And I believe He wants to release some of that today. So if I could have the worship leaders come. I just want to ask God to release, before we leave today, just a great grace, a great sense of compassion over your heart. Don't pray in a moment as we begin here uh, for a specific direction. Pray that God would baptize your heart in love. He would fill you with love. And you know what? It's not a strong thing. He just come to you in a weakness. Say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. <laughs> God, I, I don't know what to do. That's a good place to be in. Because then you go, okay, fine. That's all right. It's very disconcerting. Nobody doesn't like to know. Nobody likes to be in a place where I don't know what to do, right? Our fast-paced life is always trying to get us to do things, move, move. My dad wasn't the most patient person in the world. He had a few proverbs. One of his proverbs was, do something even if it's wrong. (laughs) Wouldn't recommend that one. Dad, I love you, but that probably wasn't the best advice you gave me. Father will help you. And he may only give you a little leading, but just a little leading you have out of integrity, respond to it. And even if you got it wrong, he'll quickly correct you if you did it out of integrity or heart. I thought the Lord said. He'll correct it. He'll help you. He's, he's not interested in perfection. Oh, I got to get it just right. I got to move. Da, 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 da. I got to do this. I got to do that. He's interested in God. I think I'm supposed to do this. Please help me, you know, and correct me if I, you know. He'll respond to that. That's part of doing beautiful things. Doing beautiful things means you have a beautiful father. If you didn't have a beautiful father, you can't do beautiful things. you got a beautiful father, you can do all kinds of things. All things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Father's heart is another way of saying I'm called to God's purpose. But the thing is, it takes its attention away from the thing and puts it on the father, on your relationship with God. All good dads are more than happy to give wise advice to their kids, right? Maybe too happy, right? That's something you have to work out with God, too, as a dad, right, with older children. But So let's all stand. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Lord. So you got a father song in there somewhere? I call them melting songs. Ah. So if you'd like... Why don't you come to the front and just worship a little while? If you need to go, feel free. You've already sorted this kind of thing out, but I thought today in me preaching this way, the Lord just might visit some of you, and he may not give you the computer printout version of what you're supposed to do, but the thing is, the prelude to that is just having an open heart to do anything. And that comes from the Father's love, right? He'll secure your heart so you'll be willing to do what he tells you. He'll tell you to quit panicking over this and he'll step to give you that. So if you like, come to the front. Uh, it'd be a good place where you can do it right from your seat, wherever you like. We're just going to pause here. If you need to go, if you could leave quietly and uh, maybe if you come up to the front, some people will come and pray with you a little bit. Don't be surprised if that happens. They might even have a prophetic word for you. You never know. Right? All right? Stay as long as you like, as long as these guys are here and uh, And more, do some business with God. Lord, I pray you would bring your gentle but clear touch of love to us as we're worshiping. 
Many of us are worried about this and that. Would you calm us? Would you let your love flow in this place? Come, Father. Love of God, you're welcome here. And as we pause here before you worship, would you talk to our heart today or tomorrow, maybe even now, as we're here before you. So we're going to worship and receive a little bit. I'll be praying for a few people up in the front. And um, If you need to go, if you could go quietly this time, because we're going to spend a little, I can feel the Father on this meeting to the love of God. And I'd just like to just give him some space and give people some space to hear and to receive, okay? Whether you see it or not. And, uh, as you leave, uh, we're, we're formally dismissed. Just be uh, quiet as you go this time. Usually we're not, but I, I just feel to honor the moment. The Lord is going to really bring a download of some grace on us. Already has been. I can tell in your faces that I'm speaking. The Lord's doing a mighty work already for many of you. Inside out kind of ministry. There's room up here in this space. Don't be afraid of these speakers. They're, they'll be all right. They won't, they won't hurt you. Don't worry about the camera. That won't be on you either. So you can just come all across here. God bless you. We could have the ministry team.